Hey, good morning, Vineyard family. My name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to our online service this morning. Special welcome to any guests who are visiting with us for the first time. And I'm also glad to see our regulars with us as well. Hey, uh, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to state the obvious, and that is that it was a really sad week in America this week. In fact, this week can best be summed up as one of those turn on the news moments. You ever get that text or call from somebody that says, hey, turn on the news. They don't say turn to Fox. They don't say turn to CNN. They don't say turn to Channel 7 or Channel 5. They say turn on the news. And what's the implication? The implication is that the event that is happening is so significant, it's so important, so huge, that whatever station you turn to is going to be carrying it. That was what we experienced earlier this week here in America. And by now, many of you have heard about the violent siege of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. as hundreds of President Trump's supporters stormed the Capitol demanding that Congress block President-elect Biden's electoral college certification. Many of us watched in horror as it all unfolded live on TV. And in the aftermath of these historic and evil events, millions of people in this country and around the world were left in utter shock. Many were left in fear. And many, like me, were angry that such an unprecedented event could happen here on U.S. soil. But many, specifically people of color like me, were confused and angered by how differently this large group of white protesters were treated in comparison to black and brown protesters who recently gathered in the nation's capital to protest police brutality just a few short months ago. For many, it's signaled that we still live in two very different Americas. And I admit to having my own struggles with this and processing the devastation of these events. And I've wrestled with what to say to you today as the pastor of this multi-ethnic, multicultural vineyard church. I wrestled with whether or not I should scrap the message that I had planned for day, today to deal with this full on. I'm choosing not to do that, by the way. Um, but I do have a plan this morning to leave you with some strong encouragement and a strong challenge. I want to leave you this morning with these words. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I've said it before in other crises. I'll say it again. The word from the Lord today is that we should keep our eyes on Jesus. And this is important and necessary for three specific reasons. One, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we continue to behold his righteousness. His righteousness, his standard of moral excellence and what is good. And this standard of Christ's righteousness helps us to decide what is good and what's not. What's right and what's wrong. You see, there are some things that we look at and it's fuzzy. We can't really tell. There's just, is this good? Is this bad? Is this okay? Is this righteous or is this unrighteous? Something we can't tell. But there's some things when we look at Christ's righteousness and his character, and then we look at the situation, we look back at Christ and we comparison. There's no comparison. And so when we, when, we, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we are reminded of who he is, his nature and his character, and we can call spade, spade. We can look at something like happened this week and say, this is evil, 
this is wrong. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We behold his righteousness and we can rightfully decide what is unrighteous. Second thing, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we behold that he is our peace. He's our peace. The prophet was foretelling what Messiah would be, the Prince of Peace, were the words he spoke. And he would be an anchoring internal peace that stabilizes us when the world around us is going crazy, an anchor in our storms. That Prince of Peace, when we look to Jesus. And we also behold the promise that one day when Christ's kingdom is fully come here on earth, he will make all things right and all things new and do away with all this division. And we hold on to that in the midst of, a dark, of, the, in a, of the darkness. We cling to the promise that the Prince of Peace will not only steady us now, but there will be a day where he will do away with all of this chaos. We look to Jesus and his peace. And finally, and perhaps more importantly, we look to Jesus and his love, his love, particularly the love that he had for his enemies, the love that he had for the people who he uh, found himself at odds with. Look, we look to God's righteousness and Christ's righteousness and we can call wrong things wrong, evil things evil, but we must never forsake the command to love our enemies, to love those we disagree with, to love those who are in opposition to those. We're challenged to pray for those we disagree with, to love our enemies because we need to be reminded that we were once enemies of God. <laughs> we were once enemies of Christ because of our sin and our brokenness. And we remember that what Christ did in response to us being his enemies is he took his body to the cross and died for us. And so we remember his love and to humanize those who do ugly, crazy things because they are redeemable and God loves them. And so we remember as we look to Jesus, his love. And so I know these things aren't easy to do. Um, so I want to say a pre brief prayer before I continue today that we would all keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we look to you today. Jesus, we thank you for your righteousness and the standard you set that help us easily identify what's off and what's evil, what's wrong up against what's right. We look to you today, Jesus, and want to tap into your steadying peace and we pray that sound thinking and perfect love will come in this moment and drive away any fear. We pray, Father, for your justice, that the consequences of the actions that happened this week would come to bear on those who are responsible. Father, we lift up the outgoing President Trump and the incoming President Biden. We pray, Father, that you would surround them with your love and care. We pray for a peaceful transfer of power on January 20th. And we pray, Lord, that above all, that you will redeem that which has been fractured for your glory and for our good in that order. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, let me get into the word today. 
As you probably remember, we're in the midst of a 30-day fast where we have, as a church, decided to pull back from some of the things that have grown too large in our life and to press into areas of spiritual discipline and the things of God. And one of the primary goals of fasting is to induce hunger. I said it. One of the primary goals of fasting is to induce hunger. And that seems kind of crazy because it kind of is. Because what's true is that everything about our human instincts drives us toward eliminating hunger and not inducing it. Even the early hunter-gatherers were working feverishly to eliminate the growling of their stomachs. They wanted to get some food, right? To eliminate hunger. And even as we've evolved, we've evolved to great problem solvers that use all of our resource, all of our intellect, and all of our ingenuity to eliminate hunger, to eliminate discomfort, to make life easier, and to make life more satisfying. And the thought of going after hunger and discomfort and creating scarcity and lack in our life is kind of nuts. If it's nuts, then why do we do it? We do it so we can develop a hunger so that we might be hungry for the things of God so that we might feast on the things of God, so that we might reset and be really, really satisfied. There's one thing I know about hunger is that there's something uh, about hunger that uh, impacts us in amazing ways, something about hunger that helps us in amazing things. Amazing way. There are things that we learn about ourselves in periods of scarcity and hunger that we can't uh, learn about ourselves when things are well. There are things that we can see about the world around us and things that we learned about God during periods of hunger that we simply cannot get anyplace else. I'll illustrate it this way. Uh, I remember as a kid driving home from church or someplace and we say, hey mom, can we stop at McDonald's for dinner? And my mother would, drawing from the black mother's playbook, uh, answer us in a very predictable way. She would say, do you have some McDonald's money? <laughs> I know some of you heard that and maybe you're not black, but your parents have a, 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 a very culturally specific way of saying the same thing. She said, you got some McDonald's money? And we would persist, mom would say, can we please eat out today? Can we please eat out at a restaurant or stop and go through the drive-through? She would say, no, because we got food where? We got food at the house, right? And the older I got, the more I understood that these responses had more to do with our curious financial situation and not about anything health related, right? My mom was just, my mom was just basically saying, we don't have the money to eat out. Not to mention, we spent money already on groceries. We have food, we have food at the house. And so oftentimes, growing up poor, we had to look in the refrigerator and make do with what we had. And what I know about uh, is, that is true is that somebody with lots of money and lots of resource can open a full refrigerator and see nothing to eat because they got a backup plan, they got resources. And somebody who doesn't have that much resource can look in an empty refrigerator and still see all sorts of things that they can work with because there's something about scarcity and lack that forces you to work with what you have. It creates a resourcefulness that is helpful. And so this self-induced hunger, if we pull back from things uh, to create a hunger so that God can be our supply, is helpful and necessary. 
And not only is it necessary, but as we eliminate the things that we have clawed into our cave, the snacks of life to help us make us feel comfortable, as we eliminate some of those things, it forces us to use what we already have. And I have walked with the Lord long enough to know that oftentimes God is challenging me that, uh, to consider that I don't need something else that I don't have. I don't need more stuff or more people or more this or more that. Oftentimes, God is challenging me to use what he's already given me to be a blessing to others and also to live out the good life experience that he has for me in my own personal life. We're in this series right now that we've been calling How to Thrive. And so far, we've challenged you to run well. And Pastor Shannon came with an awesome message last week as she challenged us to get closer to Jesus and the things that are close to Jesus. This morning, I want to continue this series with a challenge to use what you already have. You want to know how to thrive in life? I think that those who thrive learn how to make do with what they already have. In the face of crisis and scarcity and lack, I think the word of the Lord for us today is to use what we already have. And I'll unpack that uh, for the remaining of our time. I want to look at a passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17 today. Turn there with me in your Bibles. If you got your Bibles handy, we'll also be projecting it up on the screens. 1 Kings chapter 17, use what you got. Uh, while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you are cutting through the distractions this morning. There's tons of things that want to compete for our attention and our affection. But you have a word for us today. Um, my, th my thought is that if we get this word in our bones and dispatch it into our lives, you can do wonderful things. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come, put our legs up under your table today and feast. Would you make this book come alive today? as we lean in to your word. Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. May your truth and your light shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. First Kings chapter 17, I wanna start at verse eight. And as always, I want you to pay close attention to this text as I read. I want you to notice what you notice. I want you to notice what stands out and feel free to share uh, in the chat what stands out as we read through this. First Kings chapter 17, I'll start at verse eight. Eight. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bit, bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just in the, as the Lord had promised through Elijah. What a fascinating story. And I believe that God wants to speak to us through this story today. But what were your observations? What did you notice? What stood out? Go ahead and share it down in the chat. 
Well, let me catch you up here. In this passage, we meet the prophet Elijah. Now, in the preceding verses that we didn't read, we learned that Elijah had just told King Ahab that there will be no rain or even dew in the land for a few years because of their sin and because of their idolatry. Now, naturally, this will uh, result in there being a famine in the land for as many years. Uh, and so after Elijah gave this prophecy to Ahab, he was instructed by God to go and hide from Ahab in this obscure place. And God uh, sent him to go near this brook where this brook would supply the prophet with water. And God had arranged for a raven to bring the prophet Elijah food each day. We soon learned that the brook dries up and the raven stops bringing food, which signals that it's time for Elijah to move on. And that'll preach all by itself, but I'll leave that alone. But this brings us to where we pick up in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, after the book dries up, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. And there he meets this widow who is experiencing, along with her neighbors and fellow countrymen, the effects of this deadly famine. Now, I'm going to spend the most of my time today talking about this poor widow from Zarephath and the lessons that we can learn from her life and obedience. But I do want to point out a powerful principle that arrested me as I was interacting with this text this week. And that powerful principle is this. God is calling us, you and me, his people, to be an answer. I'll say it again. God is calling you and me to be an answer. God's calling us. He's made us. He's created us to be somebody's answer. And I believe that your life will change if you get this truth in your bones today. You are called to be an answer. I am called to be an answer. In fact, when you wake up in the morning, this should be your prayer before your feet hit the floor. God, make me an answer. God, make me an answer to somebody's prayer. Type that down in the chat. God, make me an answer. And too many of us have spent our lives being the cause of somebody's prayer. And it might surprise you today to learn that God has created you to be an answer to somebody's prayer. That's one of the most striking things that I see in this text before I even get to unpacking it. And I'll admit to not really seeing that in this text before. The truth is both of these people in the story are positioned in each other's life divinely orchestrated by God for their paths to cross to be the answer to each other's problem. Elijah is in need of food. His brook is dried up. He's no longer receiving food from ravens. He needs some place to eat. So God sends him to the widow. This woman is in need. She's experiencing a famine. She doesn't have enough supply. And guess what? God sends Elijah to her to be her answer. God has called us to be an answer. But aside from that, I want to focus on this woman today and how she demonstrates that you don't have a whole lot to be an answer. What's more, God wants to use our cooperation with him to both meet our own needs and to be a blessing and show up well in the life of others. This message today is supposed to push back against the lie that you don't have enough. This message is supposed to push back against a secondary lie of the enemy that might speak to you and tell you that you are not enough. That's a lie, and I want to bust that down today. I want to pull out three things out of this passage that should change your life if you lean in. The first is God can do a whole lot with just a little. God can do a whole lot 
with just a little. In fact, God seems to do his best work in crisis and in famine. When things have gone crazy, when things have gone dark, God has done his best work. Hello, 2020. The start of 2021 is right for God to show up and do something awesome. Second Corinthians chapter 12 says that his strength is made perfect in what? Our strength? No, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. In other words, weakness, weakness, excuse me. In other words, God delights in showing up in our life. He loves to show up. In fact, he's always present, but it's harder to see his hand at work during the good times. It's harder to see his hand at work when the cupboards are full of delicious food and cereal and rice and beans and the fridge is full of meat and cheeses and all kinds of delicious things. It's harder to see when the well, God, when the wells are brimming with cool and fresh water, but oh, in times of famine, oh, in times of scarcity and hunger and lack and desperation, it's there that we see God's hand at work and we are more aware of our need for him in a more pronounced way. The conditions are perfect for God's hand to be seen here in these United States in this very crisis moment as they were for this widow woman in the text. And the challenge for us is to not underestimate what God can do with just a little bit of resource. This story bears that out. Which brings me to my second point. My second point is that God often uses our obedience as a down payment. I'll say that again. God often uses our obedience as a down payment for what he wants to do in our lives and do through us as we step out on faith. Now, this is extremely important, right? Because we like those no money down arrangements, right? You see the commercials all over, you know, you can come get this phone with no money down. You can get this house with no money down. Come get this car, no money down. And our ears perk up because we love to get stuff without giving anything. We love to engage advantageous arrangements that don't require anything from us. And so millions of folks are still upside down on their homes and upside down on their cars because of subprime lending and all these arrangements that don't require the requisite investments and so we take that brokenness and we bring that brokenness into our spiritual life with God so we love entangles entanglements with God and others that don't require any investment from us that don't require any commitment that we don't have to have any skin in the game or a prior show of trust and faithfulness and let me just say that life with God as I have experienced it has almost always been characterized by faith and not just faith but leaps of faith not like a leap into a pool of refreshing deep water but a life of faith that is characterized by a high dive head first leap into an empty pool, trusting that God will make sure there's some water in there by the time we hit the bottom. That kind of faith. That's been my experience, especially as a church planter. <laughs> that God often requires a down payment of obedience and faithfulness and trust that has us asking this question, God, you want me to do what? 
You want me to give away what? You want me to do what? Leap of faith. And let me be the first to say that I don't like that about God. I love God. I like God. But I don't like this about God. And we don't like this about God. God, you got to show me first. But life with God, it is what it is. And Elijah shows up at this woman's house at the height of famine. Little to no water. Dwindling food supply. And he makes an audacious request. Scratch that. He makes two audacious requests. Verse 10. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? Now, on a normal day, that's not a big deal. A little water, I can get your whole pail of water, bro. Hospitality, man. Sure, I'll get you some water. But on a day like this day, where you're in a famine, a little cup of water is asking a lot, bro. We don't have that much water. You must be from out of town. Like, we're in a famine here. You're asking for water? But she decides to get it. Verse 11 tells us, though, that as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, hey, hey, can you bring me, a bi- bring me a bite of bread, too? He must be kidding. That's like going to your neighbor's house and say, hey, do you have a little cup of milk I could borrow? And they say, like, yeah, sure. And as they go to get it, you say, hey, do you have any cereal and a bowl and any bananas to slice up in it and a spoon that you can bring me to since, you, since you're on your way? Like, this is an audacious request. Like, this is kind of out there. She might be thinking, bro, you're pushing it right now. Or you must be outside of your mind if you think that I have water and food to spare. And she says as much in verse 12. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. You hear that? You hear the finality of her words? The desperation and the despair in her voice as as she utters these words? And that's as she's saying, sir, you literally caught me at a bad time. Not just a bad time. You caught me at the worst time. I have no bread. I have no food. And, and what's worse, I have no future prospects for food. We are preparing to die. Now, how does Elijah respond? Basically, Elijah says, I'm sorry, are you going to get me some bread or not? <laughs> so you're going to go get that bread or what? Actually, he says it better than that, but he says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said. Go ahead and make your cakes for your son, prepare to die and all that stuff. But, 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 but make a little bread for me first. Make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. The audacity. Now, why does the prophet, a representative of God, feel that he has the footing? the gumption and the gall to make this request of a poor widow. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And I love verse 15. So she did as Elijah said. 
She did as Elijah said. God makes her a huge and interesting promise. You'll never die from this famine. You'll always have enough supply, but you got to feed the man of God that I sent first. You got to meet the need of somebody else first. You got to be a blessing, a sacrificial blessing, a stupid, unwise blessing to somebody else first, and then your cupboards would never be barren. He made her a huge, high stakes promise concerning a consequential matter, she's facing death. This is a leap of faith. If this guy is lying, she's lost what little she has, and yet she chooses to obey. And in light of this story, I come down here to ask you this morning, what down payment of faithfulness does the Lord require of you this morning? What down payment of faithfulness and trust and obedience does the Lord require of you this morning? What leap of faith is God waiting for you to take? Listen, we know what we're waiting on God to do. We have a wish list a mile long, a prayer request list a mile long. God knows that already. You know that already. Perhaps what you haven't considered is what is God waiting for you to do? First. What is he waiting for you to do? I told you that God has infinite resources, infinite power. He can turn your situation on a dime. But oftentimes, God requires a down payment of obedience, which is a symbol of our faith and trust in him. And some of us are unwilling to do that. And on top of that, We've believed a lie that we simply don't have enough for God to work with. It's almost laughable, but I've been there recently. I don't have enough for God to work with, so why even bother? I'm not enough for God to work with, so why even try? You would resign to go in and die, as this woman had said. Maybe not literally, but figuratively. Which brings me to my third and final thing that I want to pull out of this text today. God often wants us to use what we already have in order to walk into what's next for us. God often wants us to use what we already have. God can fix our situations through all sorts of methods, but often he wants, to, he wants us to use what we already have in order to make that thing come to pass. This story and many others like it demonstrate God's desire to show himself strong in our lives. That God is more than wicked. He's eager. He's giddy to put his super with our natural to meet not just our own needs, but the needs of others and to be a blessing to others in our life. Now, Eliza doesn't show up here asking for water and food and then has a plan like for all the neighbors to come out with gift cards and bread and water and all kinds of stuff and say, oh, the Lord heard your prayer. Like we're coming to help you out with all this external resource. No, because of her obedience on cooperation with God to be somebody else's answer, God uses her own measly stuff, her own insufficient supply to not only feed the prophet, but to feed her, uh, her, her fi family as well. And many of us are in a place of struggle 
And many of us are in a place of despair like this woman was because we are convinced that we don't have enough. We look in our cupboards and we say, man, that's nothing. I can't work with that. And we take it a step further and say, maybe God can't even work with that. And so the fruit of that type of disposition toward life and our relationship with God is that we become stingy and sporadic with generosity with God and with others. And some of us, if you look at how generous you were to others last year in the height of scarcity and people getting laid off and all sorts of insecurity, many of us would, 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 would admit to just being seized up. Generosity stopped. Thoughtfulness toward others stopped. Because we looked in the cupboards and we saw scarcity. We looked down the road and saw uncertainty and it's caused us to be stingy. Others of us, our dreams are dying because you look at what God called you to, but you don't see how he can make it happen when you have so little resource, when you have so little education or so little experience or so little money or so little social capital or because of your gender or your race. Or others of you might be waiting for breakthrough in your relationships and you can't, you can't see how God can bring anything beautiful out of the ashes of your singleness or out of your barrenness or out of the ashes of your failed or failing marriage or your broken parenting situation or your grandparenting situation. You can't see how God's going to do it. Or maybe you believe the lie that you are not enough. Who am I talking to this morning? Where the enemy has got you convinced that you are not enough, that your present circumstance is lying to you, telling you that you're not pretty enough or handsome enough or smart enough or thin enough or educated enough and that you'd be better off living somebody else's life. This woman was gathering sticks, preparing to die. And God didn't use anything outside of her own house. He didn't send Uber Eats or he, he didn't send DoorDash to feed her. He sent this woman back into her own house back to her own barren cupboards, and he worked that thing out with what? With what she already had in the house. He said, you got food at the house. <laughs> and he worked it out. I wonder who I'm talking to this morning. I wonder who needs to hear this preacher this morning. I, want, I wonder who needs to, to, to hear me say that God specializes in the impossible. Go ahead and type that in the chat. God specializes in the impossible. And I believe the Spirit of God is saying today that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly and he wants to use what you already have but I think that for many, of God is, for many of us, God is waiting on a down payment of obedience for me and you. And for many of us, God wants us to use what he's already given us. Now, I'm going to resist the urge for the sake of time uh, to be over prescriptive here. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will speak to you if he's not speaking to you already in this moment and that he'll lead you and that he'll guide you and he'll convict you and he'll arrest you and he'll inspire you to know that he can work this thing out in your life. And that the next and that the more of the Lord is often not contingent on some external thing coming to crash into your life. But I believe like this widow woman, God is sending us back into the cupboards of our own life and say, use what you got. Trust me and step out.
Who needs to hear this this morning? Who needs to take a leap of faith? Who needs to understand that God does his best work in crisis situations and that he can work with what you got already? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge and thank you for the encouragement this morning. We know that you want to do exceedingly abundantly more than what we could even ask or think. But Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to lean in, to leap in, to put some skin in the game and to bring to you an offering of our lives, a down payment of faithfulness, a predisposition to say yes to you and to trust you. And Father, I pray that you would send us back into our own homes and back into our own relationships and back into our own places and spheres of influence with fresh eyes to see the resource that's already there that you're waiting to multiply and use for your glory, for our good, and for the good of the people who are connecting, uh, who are connected with us. Father, show up in a powerful way in our lives. Help us to use what we already have. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, thanks so much for being here with us today. I want to highlight two links that's going up in the chat. One is a link to our Zoom prayer room. This is an opportunity for you to get prayer for whatever need that you might have. You simply click on that link and you'll be channeled into a private Zoom room where you can get prayer for any need that you might have. You want a healing prayer. You need direction in your life. You, uh, you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Listen, you can collect, uh, click on that link and we'll get you to pray that you need. Also, there's a link to the connect card that we talked about earlier. This is, allows us to have a record of your visit. If you're signing up for any classes or things like that, that's a fantastic opportunity for us to have a record of that. So click that link. Listen, we'll be back here next week. Listen, no matter what this week holds,